Welcome. My name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here. If it's your very first time here, we're glad that you came and uh, joined us this morning. I know we have some folks who are watching online, so good morning to you. Thanks so much for joining us here this morning at Connect. Um, well, have you ever noticed how quickly, um, how easily sometimes we will conform to uh, the trends and the, the fashions of society around us? I'm convinced that in the future, someone is going to look back and see old pictures and old videos, and, and they're going to see people wearing Crocs. I'm going to be like, what was up with that? <laughs> you know what? I mean, I mean let's be honest. If you're, if you're here this morning, you're wearing a pair of Crocs, I don't want to single you out. But if you were the only person in this room wearing them, no one else is wearing them, I think you might get a few strange looks. I mean, what is it with those shoes? But they're very popular. Lots of people are wearing them. I'm not sure why, but they are. As I hear, they're very comfortable. So they're comfy. That's what I just heard. Yes. Um, how about band t-shirts? Have you noticed that? That just recently, um, everyone, it seems, is wearing some kind of a band t-shirt. Nirvana, Def Leppard, the Rolling Stones. I've seen the Rolling Stones in concert. I saw them uh, in, in England at Wembley Stadium in London. I sang along to their songs. I knew most of them. Um, ironically, after seeing them in concert, me and my friend Dave Reynolds, as we were on our way home, we were talking about how amazed we were at Mick Jagger, how lively he was running around the stage full of energy, and he was so old. We were like, how is this guy moving so much at the ages? We actually thought we were probably one of the last people who would get to see him perform alive. He was that old. That was 1990. <laughs> we saw him. 1990. A month from now, just later this month, they're performing in Germany. I don't know how they keep going. I think there's some animatronics going on there. I'm not really convinced. But at least when they perform and I sing along, I know the words of this song. Just recently, I was walking back from the Connect Kids area and I saw a kid walking into church, walking down into Connect Kids, wearing a Rolling Stones t-shirt. I'm like, what's up with that? How, do you even know who the Rolling Stones are? Now, the truth is, fashion trends are harmless. They come and they go. But sadly, there are times when, when for some of us, looking good and, and fitting in, it can come at a really high cost. I learned recently that back in the 12th century in China, there was a barbaric act of something called foot binding. I don't know if you've heard of this, but um, it was at a time where the ultimate status symbol for a woman was to have small feet. So they did this thing called foot binding. It was an excruciating, horrible thing where they actually broke the bones in the woman's foot and kind of folded it under and then bound it really tight to hold it in place. I'll spare you the photos of this horrific practice, but just to give you an idea of how extreme it was, here is a picture of the pair of shoes that these women would then wear once their feet had been bound like this. I know it's hard for us to imagine that today, but at that time, many women were forced into this crippling form of conformity to guarantee their acceptance and their prominence amongst their peers. Thankfully, foot binding was made illegal in China in the 1900s. But the truth is, this morning, we all still face enormous pressure to conform our bodies and our behavior to the patterns and expectations of society, of the world in which we live. Many of us, if we're honest, we, we crave popularity. We want people to like us. And this in itself is not a bad thing, 
but consciously or subconsciously, many of us believe that, that our value as a person is based on what other people see in us, what other people think about us. And as a result, we're constantly being pressured to live in ways that can actually run contrary, can run against the fullness of life that God has for us. It's almost like our souls have been bound, constrained, deformed by a world and a culture that is actually often at odds with the wonderful, incredible, free life that we can find in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And behind all of this pressure is a powerful lie that we are all often susceptible to. It's a lie that, that, that often powerfully pressures us to conform. And it's a lie that we're gonna expose this morning. It's the lie of popularity. The lie of popularity. You know, a few weeks ago, if you're here for the very first time, uh, a few weeks ago, we actually started a series here at Connect called Live No Lies. We're gonna wrap it up this morning. And the idea behind this series was, was to talk about some of the lies that we so easily fall for in the world in which we live. We've talked about the fact that Jesus, he names the devil as the father of lies. He explains that lies are his number one weapon in the arsenal he has to use against us. In John 8, 44, Jesus is, is kind of, uh, he's, he's having to go at the, the religious leaders of the time. He's giving them a, a bit of a telling off. And, and he says this in verse 44 of John 8, you are children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. Listen to how Jesus describes the devil. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. And sadly, way too often we fall for his lies. We, we find ourselves believing his lies and it's because they sound so true. It's because much of which he, he says to us in today's modern world, it lines up with the narrative of the world in which we live. So it has this air of truth to it, but it's actually a lie. Jesus, on the other hand, he identifies himself as the complete opposite. In John 8, 31 to 32, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So not only does Jesus wanna make sure that we don't fall for the lies of the devil, fall for a, a, a second-rate uh, existence, you know, for something less than the best because it turns out it's a lie from the devil. Not only does Jesus wanna make sure we don't fall for his lies, he wants to make sure that we understand his truth because it's not a difference between black and white, right and wrong, lies and truth. He says, listen, the truth, the truth will set you free. We sang that song, I am a child of God. When we, when we fully understand that, that, that truth changes the way we live our lives. The truth literally can set us free. So we've been spending these three weeks looking at some very simple lies that the enemy uses in our lives, but that the huge impact those lies can have upon us if we don't recognize them 
for what they are. So a little bit of a, a recap here of the last couple of weeks. The first week we were here, we talked about what we called the performance lie. The performance lie. The performance lie tells you, I am loved and valuable for what I do. My list of accolades and accomplishments, all the things I have done, that's what, where I find my value and my worth. That's a lie from the devil. The truth is here, if you're a follower of Jesus, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're just curious about things of faith, I believe this is true for you as well this morning that you are loved and valuable for who you are. The truth is that whether we've decided to follow Jesus or not, he loves every one of us so much. And he wants us to find our worth, our acceptance, our love, our value in who we are in his eyes. We actually learned that just after Jesus was baptized, God the Father, speaking about his son, said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. You are my dearly loved son, you bring me great joy. And as Logan shared this morning when he's leading us in that last song, those words are as true for us from the father heart of God as they were for Jesus. That this morning you are his dearly loved children. You all bring God so much great joy. The following week, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about another lie the devil loves to deceive us with. That is the possession lie. So we talked about the performance lie. We talked about the possession lie. This lie tricks you into believing that you are loved and valuable because of what you have. Your possessions, your, your value, that, that's not the truth. The truth is still that you are loved and valuable because of who you are. The lie, I am loved and valuable because of what I have. The truth that Jesus wants to set you free this morning, you are loved and valuable because of who you are. And this morning, we're gonna close out by exposing the popularity lie. This is the lie that says, I'm loved and valued based on what others think of me. What others think. And the truth is, we are so much more than what others think about us. The truth is still the same this week as it has been in the last two or three weeks. I am loved and valuable because of who I am. God loves you so much this morning. You are valuable for, to him just for who you are. You are his dearly loved child and you bring him great, great joy. So throughout this series, we've actually been using the backdrop of the temptation of Jesus. We've been looking at an, an event that took place uh, in the life of Jesus. It was right at the beginning of his ministry. He's about 30 years old at this point. You can read about the life and the ministry and the teachings and the miracles and, and ultimately the death of Jesus on the cross in four um, accounts in the New Testament written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the majority of those books, the majority of those letters um, uh, gives us an account of the life of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus. But before any of that began, Jesus, knowing the weight of the vision, the mission that he'd been called to be a part of, he went to be alone with his father to pray. He went to the wilderness. He spent 40 days. He went without food. He, he prayed and he fasted because he knew this was such a crucial point in his life, such a crucial um, step of a journey he was about to take. 
Clearly, the stakes were high, and the devil knew this. The devil knew there was this fork in the road that is, at this point, Jesus could go one of two ways. So he knew that he had a chance to stop the mission before it even started. So while Jesus was hungry and alone and vulnerable, we learn from Luke, the writer of one of the accounts of the life of Jesus, that the devil used this time to tempt him. There were three different temptations that we read about. The first temptation was to turn rocks into bread. At the heart of this temptation was the performance lie. Look at what you could do. The second was to bow down and worship the devil. And he said, if you bow down and worship me, all of this could be yours. All of these kingdoms, all of this around you, all of this could be yours. This was the possession lie. Jesus, all you have to do is worship me and you can have so much, so much power of all of these kingdoms. Look at all that you could have, all the value you could find in all that you could have. And then his third and final temptation happened like this. Luke 4 verse 9, the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem. He was in the wilderness and the devil took him to Jerusalem. And while there, he found himself at the highest point of the temple. And the devil said, if you are the son of God, jump off. If you are who you say you are, then let's, let's prove it. Jump from the top of the temple. I found a picture of what the temple would have looked like in Jesus' time. At the very front here of this picture, at the top there, you can see uh, the top is the bottom of your picture, but the top of that uh, wall there is that kind of, that was the royal porch is what it was called. That was the highest point of the temple. It was a very public place. Hundreds of people would be coming and going at all times. And right there, towering above all of them, Hundreds of feet above the ground, just off the screen here, there's a, a cliff that would drop down hundreds of feet. So, so Jesus is, is high up here at this point and he's being tempted by the devil. There's a historian named Josephus. We have a lot of his writings, thanks to archaeologists discovering his writings. And uh, he lived in the, um, the, the, the first century. And when describing this temple, he mentions that just looking over the top made people feel dizzy. If you were just stood at that very top part in the royal ports, just looking over would make people feel dizzy. So the evil one leads Jesus to this dizzying height. And he says, if, if you were really the son of God, jump off. Because the scriptures say that he will order his angels to protect and guard you. The devil's quoting the Bible here to back up his temptation. He will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. If you are the son of God. The devil's saying you could jump from that dizzying height and God would rescue you. You would not be harmed. If you really are who you say you are. Now remember, God has just declared, Jesus has just been baptized before this, and the voice of the Father from heaven has said, this is my dearly loved son. He brings me great joy. And no sooner has he said that, just shortly afterwards, the devil is already messing with his mind. He's saying, is that really who you are? 
Is that really where your value can be found? If you were the son of God, you could do this. And here's what you need to understand about this particular temptation this morning. This wasn't a temptation to, to cause Jesus to show off, to cause Jesus to, to prove, you know, how um, invincible he really was. The devil knew how to get to Jesus. The devil knew where to tempt Jesus. You see, the devil knew that Jesus had a huge heart for Jerusalem. He could have taken him to any high place and said, jump and you'll be rescued. But he took him to Jerusalem. This wasn't about jumping and being saved. This was about um, doing something in front of the people of Jerusalem. You see, we read throughout the New Testament that Jesus had a zeal for God's house. He had a passion for the temple. There was a time where he saw the temple being misused and uh, merchants were there selling things. And, and he came in and in his anger, he turned over the tables because he, he hated to see the temple at the heart of this city that he loved dearly being abused in such a way. We read that he wept over this city. As he entered Jerusalem, he wept over the city of Jerusalem. I believe the reason he wept is because while he was still fully man, he was also God in the flesh. And he was aware as he looked on at Jerusalem of all that they'd been through as a people up till that point. All that they were going through now in their, their slavery, their captivity to the Romans. I almost wonder if Jesus almost just knew in the future the persecution and the different things that they would go through. He had a heart for this city, for these people. You know, I prepared this message um, earlier in the week and, and literally wrote those notes and then woke up yesterday morning to see even more pain and heartbreak and war breaking out in that same part of the world. And I had to wonder if Jesus wasn't just even looking forward at all the misery and the heartache and the brokenness that would come in the future. And I wanna pause at this point in the message. We're gonna say a prayer as a church today for all that's going on right now in the Middle East. So would you pray, for me, pray with me, Father? We are very aware, Lord, of just the, the problems and the tension and the pain and the, the war that is taking place in that conflict right now over in Israel. And as a church, Lord, even though we are thousands of miles away, we stand with the men and the women and the children and the innocent people who are being affected by this conflict on all sides of the conflict. Father, that's what breaks our heart the most this morning, knowing that there are innocent people there caught up in this violence just simply because this is the land in which they were born. Father, we pray for the families this morning who are experiencing loss and brokenness. We pray for families who don't live in that area, but who have loved ones who do live in that area, who are fearful and in pain this morning, seeing on the news and on the TV and on social media the, the terrible videos of what's going on over there. Father, we pray for peace to prevail. We pray for leaders to um, come together. and We pray for some kind of solution, Lord. We don't know how that can be found outside of you, Lord. You are the Prince of Peace. And this morning we come before the Prince of Peace and ask for peace in that situation. But Father, right now, we pray for those innocent people caught up in this. 
that they would sense you with them at this time. They would find you in the midst of this darkness. In Jesus' name, amen. The devil knew that Jesus had such a heart and a passion for the people of this country, the people of Jerusalem. And he whispers to Jesus, what a way, what a way to capture the attention and the hearts of the people of this city. Have you seen those movies where the superhero is unsure yet if his superpowers really work and he finds himself on top of a really tall building and, and the only way he's ever gonna know or she's ever gonna know if she has, they have the power to fly is by leaping off that building. And there's that moment where they're falling and they think, wow, I've made the wrong decision here. And then suddenly they fly. The devil's saying, Jesus, you could be that person. You could leap from this building right now People would look up. They would be screaming as they saw someone fall into the ground. Then at the last minute, angels from heaven would come and scoop you up. Can you imagine the impact that would have? You would rise straight away to fame, to popularity. People would be talking about you all across Jerusalem. This would help move your mission so far forward. All you've got to do is just put God to the test. But you see, God's saving plan for Jerusalem, for Israel, for even us today, was that Jesus would one day enter Jerusalem on a donkey, not on the wings of fiery angels. God had a plan, a plan that would not only rescue the people of Israel, but would rescue all of us here this morning. And in this moment on the top of the temple, Jesus is wrestling with the idea of, of how popular he would be if he showed up in this miraculous way, maybe even justifying it in his mind in the way that it would line up with the mission that he knew he'd been called to. But at the core of this temptation, Satan is trying to get Jesus to move away from his trust in his father's plan, in his father's acceptance of who Jesus was to find a new way to maybe earn some acceptance on his own. And essentially, that's the force behind the popularity lie, that God's opinion isn't enough, that there must be someone else out there that can better validate our worth, that we need approval from someone other than God. But Jesus, in the face of this temptation, Jesus chooses well. He doesn't fall for the popularity lie. In Luke 4.12, Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you're, you're quoting scriptures at me? Well, listen, here's what else the scriptures say. You must not test the Lord your God. To test God in this context is to say, I don't trust God. I don't trust God's value of me. And instead, I should try and find value by impressing others in some way. And this morning, if we're gonna break out of this soul-binding pressure of the popularity lie, we need to be willing to trust God and God alone, to find our value and our worth in God and God alone, to go first and foremost to Him and care the most about what He thinks about us and not what others think about us, not get caught up in the lie of caring too much about what others think instead of what God thinks. And if we're gonna push back 
on that lie this morning, if we're gonna look to expose the lie for what it is, if we're gonna try and find the truth that will really set us free, I think we have to ask ourselves a couple of questions this week. As we leave here today, there are a couple of questions I think we have to ask and answer in our hearts. The first question is whose opinion is going to matter most? In my life, in all that I do, in everything I say and do, in the way I live my life, whose opinion is gonna matter the most to me? Is it God's or is it others? Is it the Father who's declared you are his beloved child who brings him great joy? Or is it the person or the people that we're trying to impress? Because if it's those around us, that's why. When we're out with the crowd, we can be tempted to drink too much. That's why as employees, we're sometimes tempted to, to overwork, to do more in the office, to try and impress those around us at the expense often of our family. That's why as parents, we can often over-exaggerate the accomplishments of our children because we, we put so much care and so much worth into what others think of us and how we are doing as parents in this world. The voice of God that says we are dearly loved, it can seem so soft and quiet compared to the voices of those who are standing around us. So we knowingly, or sometimes unknowingly, set out to impress others, to be someone they will notice, someone they will value. The devil says, jump, and we jump. Do you ever find yourself tempted to do that? To make choices based on what other people think or to do something in order to impress other people? Of course we're tempted to do that. I'm tempted to do that. We're human. It's, it's a natural temptation. The devil used it against Jesus, and he still uses it against us today. It's important to recognize this morning that when you are tempted to do that, that Jesus himself was tempted. Yes, he was the son of God, but he was fully human. And I think he wrestled with this temptation as much as we do. That something in him wanted to receive good in the opinion of him of others. But think about this for a moment. What would have happened if he jumped? What was at stake in this temptation for Jesus? I think if Jesus had jumped, he would have been living according to someone else's script for his life, not his father's. He would have traded the great purpose and vision of his life for a brief moment of glory. Yes, he would have looked amazing in front of the crowds, but at what cost? And I think that trade is the tragedy of the popularity lie. What we give into keeps us from becoming who we were created to be pushes us away from the great plan that God has for our lives. It derails us from living out God's true purpose and vision for our lives. It binds and deforms our life. Paul hit the nail right on the head when he was writing to a church in Galatia. Galatians 1 verse 10, he said, Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal... I would not be Christ's servant. Paul is saying, I feel such a mission, such a vision to speak the words of Jesus, to, to be part of the vision, the mission that God has for me, that I'm gonna do it at the cost of the opinion of others. 
My goal here isn't to win the approval of people, but of God. So when faced with a popularity lie, one question we must ask ourselves is whose opinion is gonna matter most? And then I think a second question that really goes hand in hand with that first question, because I, I want this to be a practical application for us this morning as we, as we leave here today, as we live our lives. Whose opinion is gonna matter most? Question number one. Who do I need to risk disappointing? Question number two. That's a fun question to think about, isn't it? <laughs> Who could I disappoint this week? <laughs> but if we're gonna decide that God's opinion of us is more important than others' opinion of us, there are gonna come times in our life, whether it's friends, family members, there is a chance that we're gonna let someone down. We're gonna end up disappointing someone. And it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough because deep down, the approval of others is so powerful. It's the heart of the popularity lie. But you may find yourself in a situation where your beliefs or convictions will cause you to differ with someone else. And even if you try and share where you're coming from in the most loving of ways, the most non-judgmental way possible, but this is, this is what I believe the Bible teaches you. This is the conviction that I, I follow as a, as a Jesus follower. You can share it in the most loving way. It may still disappoint them. I can remember many years ago, this was actually before Connect started, Casey and I, we'd, we'd left the position at our previous church with this, this vision, this dream to plant a church in Washington. One of the driving forces in us doing this is because at that particular stage of our lives, our kids were younger, we had a lot of friends through sports and, and school that the kids were in and in our neighborhood. And we've still got friends, but I remember back then, um, in particular, many of these friends we would talk to, they weren't attending church anywhere. Many of them weren't even followers of Jesus. They may have grown up going to church, but now for whatever reason, life had got in the way. Maybe they never went to church at all. And we would share our faith we would share with them the difference Jesus has made in our lives. And we would often invite them to attend church with us. At the time, we were working for a church in Peoria. We got the response countless times, well, I'd go, but it's all the way in Peoria. I mean, you think we'd ask them to go to the moon. I mean, it's like 15 minutes away. But who wants to go to Peoria on a Sunday? You know, let's stay in Washington. So we had this passion, this dream, this vision, this desire to, to start a church here in Washington so that the friends and neighbors who we loved, who didn't yet know Jesus, we would be able to invite them to a church in their community, in their neighborhood. So our vision from the very beginning was to, to start a church that unchurched people, that people who didn't yet know Jesus would be able to come to and feel like they belong and they're accepted. And even though they may not believe what we believed, they would come and they would feel welcome, they would feel accepted. And our prayer was as they would continue to come, they would learn more and more about Jesus. They would meet other families who have made a decision to follow Jesus. They would see the change that Jesus can make in your lives. And as a result, at some point, they too would make that decision to follow Jesus. And we've seen that happen over the last 10 years. Hundreds of people baptized. Hundreds of people saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. That was our dream back then. Is that still our dream today? That in this community and the surrounding areas, we would reach people who don't yet know Jesus they would come to find that he loves them so much that the words he spoke to Jesus, he wants to speak to our friends and our neighbors who don't yet know them, that they are dearly loved. 
that they bring God great joy like any parent looking on at his child. We bring God such great joy. But I can remember we were on this journey. Connect hadn't yet started. So we were hoping and praying. We were meeting with a group of people and we were sharing this vision. And if I'm completely honest with you, we were a little nervous. We had a a date on the calendar, September of 2013, when we were going to start as a church. And we were wondering, what if no one shows up? This is a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of energy. and, And what if no one comes? And through that journey, we would meet at different times with people who wanted to learn more about this church that we were starting. I remember meeting with a guy in the blends here. We had coffee together. He reached out to me. He said, hey, I'm attending a church right now, but my wife and I, for many reasons, we're not real comfortable there. We're not real happy with the church we're a part of. We heard about this new church you were starting. We're very interested in joining. I knew this person. We've been friends of their family. Uh, uh, so I knew of him. I knew of his family, his kids. And, and he said, I'd love to learn more about it. So we sat and we had coffee and we, he was asking me different questions and I was sharing my vision. And I was telling my passion. And, and at some point as I shared about, you know, this desire to reach people in our community who didn't yet know Jesus, he said this phrase. He says, you're not gonna be one of those seeker churches, are you? Now, I knew what he meant by that. This is a phrase that, that people in the church would sometimes use. It was this idea that there are churches that, um, uh, they're called these seeker churches because they're, they're so keen to reach people who don't yet know Jesus that they just dumb everything down. They water down the message. You know, they make it so appealing that anyone would want to come to church, but they never really preach the truth of Jesus. So I said to him, no, we don't plan on watering anything down. We will teach the Bible. We will share in a very clear way, a very practical way, but we're not going to try and dumb down any of the truth. We're going to share the truth of God. And for some people, it will be hard to hear. But I did say to him, I said, but I've got to tell you, Jesus said once that he came to seek and save the lost. And I believe that to be true. I believe there are many people in my community who don't yet know Jesus. So in some senses, yes, we kind of are going to be a seeker church because we're going to be lining up with uh, this conviction that God has given me to seek people who don't yet know Jesus. I was thinking about that conversation just this week as I was writing this message. Because I remember in that moment when he said that, I remember thinking, I know what he's kind of asking here. I know that there's a part of him that's fearful that if he were to come to our church, we'd be more focused on people outside the church than inside the church. And that's not the case at all. We want you as a part of Connect to grow in your faith and to to become stronger, but we'll never do it at the expense of those outside of the church. We will always be a church that reaches people outside of the walls of this building. We wanna be a church that impacts this community because we believe that Jesus still wants to seek and save those who are lost. I knew in that moment I could say something that he would want to hear and that would encourage him to join our church. He was a great guy, great family, a great Christian man. But I knew that because of our conviction, Casey and I, to plant this church in a certain way, that when he arrived, there were gonna be some things that he wouldn't like. And in that moment, it was so uncomfortable because I knew I could say what he wanted to hear, but I knew I wouldn't be true to the conviction God had put on my heart. And I could see the look in his eye when I started to share. I could see that this wasn't, that in some ways I was disappointing him. And that's the question we have to ask with our beliefs as Jesus followers, with our convictions. Are we willing at times to risk disappointing 
somebody because of what we believe. I want you to be encouraged this morning. Jesus understands what that is like. As you study the life of Jesus, you discover that he disappointed his own family. They thought he'd gone crazy. He disappointed the people in his hometown. There's a story of when he went back to his hometown and they wanted to throw him off a cliff. He disappointed the religious leaders by not falling in line with their theology and the way they felt like God should treat people. He disappointed the crowds who wanted the Messiah to conquer the oppressors in Rome. Not to submit, wash feet, and ultimately die on a cross. Time after time after time after time, Jesus disappointed those who had a view of who he should be. When we stop performing to earn the approval of others, we will likely face the same reality. We will disappoint some people as we choose to live out God's purpose and vision for our lives. There was a leader in the ancient church around 480. His name was Augustine. Augustine wrote an incredible memoir called The Confessions, and we can still read that to this day. He'd grown up believing in God, but he'd strayed away in his young adult years, and, and really he'd gone as far from God as you could possibly get. He was very smart, very intelligent, and he was also, he, he loved to, to party and just get involved in all kinds of different things. And, and he came to a place in his life, he talks about this in, in his memoirs, where he realized that nothing was bringing him fulfillment. Everything just seemed empty. And he remembered what he'd been grown up to believe, and he turned back to God. And in his memoirs, he shares about that transformation in his life. But there's an incredible quote from Augustine. He says, grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I might know thee. Grant, Lord, that I might know myself, that I might know thee. He understood that it wasn't enough just to know God. He also had to know and understand himself. We need to know and understand who we are if we want to fully understand who God is. The sad truth is for any of us, like Augustine, who have chased that popularity lie, is that if you keep conforming to who other people want you to be, eventually you'll realize you really don't even know who you are anymore. So who are you this morning? You are my dearly loved son, and you give me great joy. You are God's dearly loved children this morning. You bring him so much great joy. And if you'll release that binding pressure of popularity and allow those words that God the Father spoke to Jesus, his son, that he also speaks over you and me this morning to sink in, we can truly experience what it's like to live no lies. Let's pray. Father, it's encouraging this morning to know that these temptations that we get caught into, these lies that the devil tries to trick us with, they're not new. They're not new to us. Jesus himself, as a human, just like us, he faced the same temptations. He stood up to the devil. He used scripture and he stood and he knew who he was. Help us this morning, Lord, to know who we are as we know who we are, as we understand who we are, the value that we have in, in being a child of God, I pray, Jesus, that that will be what helps us push back against the popularity lie. 
the other lies that, that come to tempt us, to, to try and steal us away from living the best life possible. God, I pray in Jesus' name that this week we will constantly be aware, Lord, of, of who we are in your eyes, that we won't uh, be tempted to, uh, to bend over, to bow down to the opinion of others, that we'll be strong and courageous enough, Lord, to stand strong for what we believe, even at the risk of disappointing others. Because, Lord, we just, we know who we are, Lord, and we care about who we are in your eyes, not the eyes of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.